Hey, welcome back to the Free Kit Martin Podcast. My name is Crystal McKenzie. I am with the ex-wife, the one and only ex-wife of Kit Martin here, Stacy Stone. Stacy is also the mother of three of their children. Those are all grown children now and very, very good people. Kit Martin, my goodness, where do we begin? I think we begin with Martin Luther King Jr. in one of my favorite quotes. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. As we get started here, we just want you to know that we care about each and every person listening. So chances are you're also caring deeply about what's happening in the U.S. justice system. You know, we call that the injustice industry here in the Free Kit Martin movement. Maybe you just care deeply for Kit Martin and that part of the story, a man who fought for freedom and, well, he needs his back right now. Either way, you appreciate it and we thank you for being here. We do want to express that everything you hear on our podcast will be our opinion and trigger warning. This case is full of hard topics. Stacy and I are here to find justice for four people. Kit Martin, Calvin Phillips, his wife Pam, and their neighbor, Ed Donzero. They were all neighbors. They lived across the street from one another in a small town, Pembroke, Kentucky. Chris has been wrongfully accused of killing those folks. He did not commit these crimes, and the evidence proved it in the trial, yet 12 found him guilty. So we're here today to discuss the episode that everybody watched this week. And it's probably my third time watching it. I'm talking about the Dateline episode on Kit Martin. Stacy, how are you doing, honey? I'm great. How are you doing, Crystal? I'm doing great. And I'm thanking you for being here. We had our schedules have been conflicted lately, but we found our time to do this podcast. And it's an important one, don't you think? Oh, I think it's very good. I think that um, although the Grammys were on the other night, I feel like many people tuned in to the Dateline episode talking about the Kit story. And I, I will say that I'm very appreciative to Dateline for, you know, and that was a rerun. I'm glad they ran it again and everything. I mean, You know, there's so much out there. It would have been very difficult for them to try to cover everything. And they may not have been privy to all the information either. But we're going to be here today to tell the audience what Dateline might not have told you. That's right. What did they miss? What didn't they tell you? And where have we gotten um, uh, from then, from that point that it aired. And by the way, that Dateline episode, pretty amazing that it was the premiere episode on the 30th anniversary of Dateline. Do you know how big that is for a network to put that in a premiere episode? That's huge. It, it is. is. This whole trial was big. The whole case was, it was quite confusing. Um, you know, although I have been in the thing forever, you know, since before the court martial. You know, it was difficult for me to keep up. So I really don't know how you could expect a jury even to keep up with everything that was going on in that chaotic courtroom. Yeah. To be quite honest. You know, and the time, remember when they were trying to tell you the times on the cameras and then they would go to a different time five hours earlier. Detective Smith didn't even know if daylight savings time was affected in that. So like all of that was the chaos. We're talking about the chaos of the trial. It was so chaotic. And if you want to do yourself a favor, go watch that trial. If you want to see some what we feel like is injustice in America, go watch that trial. It's on Court TV. It's on demand. And you can just go to Google and ask for it. Actually, it's Chris Martin versus Kentucky on Court Mm -hmm. TV. I believe that it's important to tell the public also that be prepared. Watching it once won't be enough. Because every time you go back, you're going to hear something different than you heard the first time, I assure you. Same with Dateline. How many times have we watched it now, you know? Um, Because that was up on the Internet for all of us to enjoy. Then it was taken down off the NBC website for a while. And I'm glad that they re-aired it here over the last couple of days because that puts it right back into the limelight and back up on their website. And that is huge. NBC websites are going to get, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of followers. So 
uh, we are delighted about that. And uh, by the way, we, I know for sure, we had hundreds of downloads uh, just yesterday after that episode aired. So thank you so much to our new followers here on the Free Kit Martin podcast. We so appreciate you being here. Yes, and we know that Kit appreciates you as well. You know, just a way to get the story out there of wrongfully convicted people. You know, of course, we're here for Kit Martin at the at this point, but we've also become very aware how unjust our justice system is at times. Like you, I think you've expressed this on you know prior podcasts that you really trusted the system. You've always just trusted it. It never occurred to you that this was going on, you know, that somebody like Kit Martin can be thrown in prison for three murders he did not commit. I had no idea. It's truly changed my entire life. And it's just an experience that I hope that, None of our viewers, nobody in America ever has to go through, has to endure because it's so painful to watch. And, you know, you're sitting there and you're wanting to fix it so bad. And you find it take, it's going to take many, many people coming together and working together to change the way our justice system works. It is. I mean, and it has to come in droves for them to get attention, you know, for any kind of content to get attention. And you want NBC News type affiliates. I mean, that is a very well respected, but it has been, as long as it's been in existence, um, a uh, prominent news network here in the United States of America. So for them to be covering it and sending one of their most iconic reporters to cover it, Keith Morrison, um, that is just huge, you know. And so, again, we thank the folks from Dateline for covering this. Yes. Okay, let's begin with the town of Pembroke. How big is this town of Pembroke where these murders occurred, Stacy? This is a small country town where you might at any given day see um, someone with a, a buggy and a horse going down the street. And it's a population of, I believe, less than a thousand people. It's actually located about 20 minutes from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So not very far over the Tennessee line, actually. Okay. Okay, so Fort Campbell, Kentucky is also kind of goes into Tennessee. Does that base sort of go into Tennessee or is it right on the state line? It's close to Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay. And it connects with Clarksville, but it is considered Kentucky, yes. And the important names, let's get into all of the people who play a part in this story and introduce you to them. Uh, Calvin Phillips is one of the victims. He lived across the street from Kit Martin. Pam Phillips was his wife. Ed Donzero was their neighbor. And if you're looking at, uh, by the way, Calvin and Pam's house, it's, I've always thought that that was the house to the right. It's the house to the left that Ed Donzero lived in. It's even closer to their house than the other one is. So um, that, that makes a difference. Uh, also, Christian Kit Martin, obviously kind of the lead character in this particular story. Uh, the other lead character, as far as we're concerned, Joan Harmon Guerra. Now, Stacy, what is her name now? From my understanding and what I've heard is her new name is now Adele Joan Gritton, which somehow she had a judge to sign because we know she has, and we won't go too deep at this moment into that, but she had a felony on her record. Now, I thought, and of course I'm not, we make the disclaimer, we're we're not attorneys, we're not legal professionals, the podcast is our opinion only, but I thought that was illegal for someone with a felony to change their name, but apparently somehow she's worked the system again, and she's yeah. Adele Joan Gritton, and Gritton was actually her stepfather's last name. So I don't really know what that thinking was. So if you're around somebody and you find her kind of fishy and maybe a lie or two, a fib or two that you kind of caught and her name is Adele Gritton, that's who we're talking about. Her name is Joan Harmon and she is the main character in this tale. Let's face it. This all began with her I mean, Christian Kit Martin is the one wrongfully convicted, but we've got to figure out how this happened. And she vowed to ruin him. And uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit, but she vowed to ruin him. There's a whole book coming out about it. I will ruin you. The twisted truth behind the Kit Martin trial. And on March 26th, this game changes. Let's move on. Uh, who else do we have here that are kind of main people in this story, Stacy? 
Well, we have Laura Spencer in a couple of years after Joan and Chris, I'm going to say divorced, but actually it was annulled because they were never married because she was still married to her last husband. Which is why she's uh, a felon. Yeah, she's a bigamist. That's right. So there's Laura Spencer, and she uh, was the fiancé. And a couple of years after Joan and Chris split up, Laura moved in with Chris with her two children. I'm not going to say their names because I'm not sure they'll want them said, but her yeah. two children. Chris treated them as his own. He does have three. Chris and I have three biological children, but um, he treated these like they were his own, as he did Joan's three children, I might add. Absolutely. He treated them as his own, too. I think one of Joan's children we do have to mention. Uh, there are three total but one we have to mention, and his name is Elijah. He's a big part of this story. His name is E.J., Elijah, or Justin Harmon. Yeah, that's why it infuriates me when I hear the accusations of, of him abusing him because he treated him so well. He he. I remember him taking uh, Elijah to Philmont Boy Scout Camp. He took him to karate lessons, and he did everything he could to give that young man the best life he had ever had. And then for those false allegations to be made, it just really infuriates me because I saw, I witnessed, I know how Kit Martin treated Elijah, and it was not in an abusive tone at all. So I believe you. I really do. Um, Mary Martins, let's talk about her. She was the, Mary Martins was part of the, um, Dateline episode, and let's just talk about how she plays a part in all of this. Mary Martins, I believe, did an excellent job on Dateline. You know, she talked about Joan in the, for those of you that watched the Dateline episode, and you could still go to Peacock, or I think that's where that stream's yeah. at. You could go there and watch that episode. Uh, but Mary Martins, you know, she said after researching Joan, you know, um, she felt like she was just a wo woman that used men to get what she wanted. That became very clear as we go through the story. Right. Marlene LaRock, she was one of the neighbors. She was on the phone and the last person to speak to Pam Phillips. Ma Marlene LaRock is another really important person in this investigation, don't you think? I do. I, I would love to talk to Marlene LaRock. If Marlene, if you're listening, we would love to talk to you in a yes. non-threatening way. Not at all. We just have some questions. We'll bring coffee and we'll bring, you know, crumpets or tea. Uh, we can have a whole little party over at your house or we can meet you somewhere. But I would love to meet Marlene LaRock. She's one of the most important people. And we'll get to that. Matt Phillips, he's the son of the victims, Cal Phillips and Pam Phillips. And then we also have Diana Phillips. Those She's the sister of Cal Phillips. These people found, well, they found most of the evidence. They found the two really big pieces of evidence. Of what they called evidence. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that in here in just a minute. Um, also, a few more instrumental people that we have to, that we have to recognize in this story. How about William Stokes? He never made it to the courtroom to take the stand. And as Tom Griffiths, our defense attorney, put it, just couldn't be found. William Stokes was Joan's boyfriend at the time. And, um, you know, I had some questions as to why they couldn't find him. But yeah. um, apparently, I don't know if he was hiding out or if they just, whoever the process server was, didn't look in the right places. But we would have loved to have heard his testimony. Absolutely. Now, we did hear the testimony of one of the firemen, one of the volunteer firemen who, uh, who showed up, and that is William Stokes' brother, Doris Ray Stokes. We also heard from Ed Stokes. Now, he was the captain of the sheriff's department or the police department one, but he was the captain. Ed Stokes plays a very big part in all of this as well. There, uh, Ken Buckner is another name that you didn't hear on Dateline, right? Um, I don't believe I did hear his name at all, but we certainly have his statements that he made to a private investigator. So they're very powerful in disputing the fact, you know, in the trial, they talked about that Calvin Phillips was going to be, you know, a star witness for the prosecution. But when you hear what Kim Buckner says that Calvin Phillips said to him, you are going to put that, that's going to be another one of those question marks in your mind is if you don't probably have enough of them by now. Absolutely. James Matlock, was he an eyewitness or not? Did he, James Matlock. He told me he, 
he never met him or that he doesn't believe his words where he never remembers even meeting him. And it's very curious to me how somebody all of a sudden after four years remembers that he saw this guy in a field from how many ever yards apart and he could identify. Yeah, that's Kit Martin. But we have some interesting testimony we can have on that. Not sure, Crystal, how much you want to get into that, but we know there's a pretty good chance that he was put up to testifying. Right. We could do a whole podcast on that alone. Um, How about Detective Scott Smith? We've already done a couple of uh, three, four, five, 15... Yeah, that's one of the biggest characters in this movie, okay? Let's just go ahead and put that out there. His name is Lieutenant Scott Smith. If you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and interject this because I do not want to miss this about Detective Smith. The listeners should know that Detective Scott Smith is already involved in another lawsuit where he has been a part of actually, a, he. it's alleged that he was part of planning evidence. And he is, as we speak, being sued for his estate. So that's, that is still, you know, a lawsuit. It has not been proven. It is alleged, but it raises my eyebrows a bit. Well, there's nothing alleged about the fact that Scott Smith was a part of that. And he is being held accountable. That's the Norman Graham case. And if you just want to look it up, Look it up. Lovey and Lovey covered that out of Chicago. And that is a very big story out there on the Internet. So just go ahead and go look it up yourself. But, yeah, Scott Smith, there's nothing alleged about him being a part of that, right? I mean, he was a part of that case. And they are looking at corruption because they're going after his entire estate, even though Mr. Graham has already passed away. But Mr. Graham served a lot of years in prison for crimes he didn't commit. And it was because of some planted evidence. And that was proven. That's already proven and done. It's a done deal. Lawyers are going after the estate now. Let's talk about also prosecutor Barbara Whaley. We have to talk about Barbara Whaley because just like Emilio said, Emilio Corsetti, who wrote the book on this and just went by facts and evidence from the case, he said there was a moment, there was a moment that prosecutor Barbara Whaley had to decide to deceive. You are not going to believe this book when it comes out. And some of it we can talk about on this podcast. Some of it we cannot. But Barbara Whaley, the world has our eye on you. We do. We do. And, you know, with another disclaimer, we're not attorneys. uh, But I know, I'm just going to say it. I know a lie when I hear it. So, uh, and I heard one in the closing couple, in the closing statement, and I don't know if we can call that a lie, but it was very misleading and left out some very important information. But, you know, I'm hearing, and I don't like this because I hope that not all attorneys or lawyers are that way, but I'm hearing that's an old trick that prosecutors use in their closing statement, or maybe even some defense attorneys, but it was very misleading and You know, Chris, I know your character and my character, you know, that's not okay. It is not okay. We have a man's life at risk. And right now, the appearance of it to me is it was all about we just have to get the conviction. Right. We know who did it. The family says they, they knew who did it. They go and have a meeting with the attorney general. And then we have a huge, very high profile arrest at the Louisville International Airport. The whole thing smells. Let's also get into some of the other characters here. Major James Garrett. Oh, wow. We could say a lot about him. Uh, I mean, just his whole testimony and what happened. Sometimes it's like, and I don't know how many of you, the listeners, I'm not trying to be a Bible thumper, but it's all in context. If you take one scripture You can't get the meaning unless you know what happened before. And there was a whole court martial before this trial. It was all connected. Joan Harmon instigated all of it, all of it. And that is pretty much fact, but definitely my educated opinion. Absolutely educated because you lived that nightmare with her. Right. And, uh, And, you know, James Garrett was a huge part of that court martial. And he was angry at Kit Martin, because guess what? There was complaints filed against him. I don't care what he said on the stand because I have them in my hot little hand. 
I know there was complaints filed against him. And he lied under oath. Now, that is a fact. Yeah. And I've got that proof. And then we have Attorney General and now Governor Andy Beshear. Andy Beshear, you know, just here's what happened. You know, the family, the Phillips family, Matt Phillips, goes in and has a meeting with Andy Beshear, who was then Attorney General of Kentucky. All right. So this all happened prior to May's arrest. So in May of 2019, they go in and do this very high profile arrest of Kit Martin. Now, what you saw on the Dateline episode was to me, I mean, that was a big surprise hearing Matt Phillips talk about being chased by Kit Martin down a highway in Kentucky. And all of that was brand new to anybody on the Kit Martin side of the story. We had no idea any of that happened. Kit was busy at that point. You know, he was buying his flight attendant's dinner and um, and on his way to the airport to fly yeah, a plane. He was flying in. He had just flown a flight into Louisville. And he spent the night. He spent the night and he was getting ready to fly out. And that was what happened, you know. And, and, and so they caught they they knew he was at Panera Bread. They, I mean, obviously, if four agencies are involved. He's over there. He's with his flight attendants. He buys their lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever it was. I don't know what time the flight was. But as soon as he went through security or as he was going through security, he was detained. Uh, so yeah. they knew where he was. The cops knew where he was. The attorney general's office knew where he was. They were making this very high profile arrest and they're telling Matt to go like run. I didn't understand that. Well, Crystal, I have a question about that whole event as well. You know, I saw that on Dateline and I really had questions about that because they showed Mr. What's his name? The governor now, Andy Bashir. Andy Bashir. Uh, he was attorney general running at that time, was right in the middle, close to the election for governor. And he's making the big press conference about, you know, Kit Martin's been arrested and we're going to fight crime, blah, blah, blah. Um, I believe he was neck and neck with his opponent, Mr. Bivens, at the yes. time. Yes. But he said it was new evidence is why they arrested him. And the media kept asking, what is this new evidence? What is this new evidence? And he said, I can't expose that at this time. I can't tell it. But, you know, we're already through the trial. Chris is sitting in prison and we still haven't seen any new evidence four years later. So Uh I've got that question. I don't know what that evidence was, but it never showed its uh, ugly face. That's for sure. Absolutely. And then, of course, the arrest happened. The grand jury um, happened on the 10th of May, 2019. On the 11th, they go and do the arrest at Louisville Airport. It's on the 6 o'clock news that night. Cameras are there um, talking to passengers. You know, unbelievable. That, 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 how'd they know? How, how'd the media know? How did, so then um, they, they arrest this guy. And then the big, the day after, uh, Andy Bashir goes on and takes credit for it. Hey, we've made this arrest because we're going to be tough on crime. And then on the 19th of May, he wins the primary by less than 5%. So that's what happened. Wow. Yeah. So let's get in here to the background of Kit and Joan, because leading up to the court martial may be like the most important, I think, testimony that we had in that trial. And that was from your guys' daughter. And she's so beautiful. Uh, But anyway, she gets up. And talks about what? She's talking about Joan, right? Our daughter had moved in with Kit and Joan in Pembroke because she was attending Austin P University. And as I remember her saying, you know, they've been arguing a lot more. And Kit asked Joan for a divorce, said, told her he wanted a divorce. And it got very um, not good. It was an ugly scene. Joan said she was going to call the police. She was going to tell them he was abusing her. Uh, he actually picked up the phone also and said, oh, if you want to call them and you think that I'm abusing you, let me call them for you. So they're both calling them. The police get out there. Basically, there was no evidence anybody had abused anybody. And but he, you know, told Kit and our daughter that, you know, why don't y'all just leave for the night? Make it peaceful. Leave for the night. And so they did. And but during that whole argument, Joan states to Kit, and our daughter hears it, and I don't have the exact quote, but it was, I will ruin you. 
If you divorce me, I will ruin you. I will ruin your military career. I'll say you abused me. I know how to do this. My God. And boy, have we witnessed that she certainly knew how to do it. Somebody did, for God's sakes. Now, Calvin and Joan, we have to get to this. And this is no longer a secret. And you can go back to our previous podcast, and we set the record straight on this. There are signed documents of people that actually witnessed that Joan was having an affair with one of the victims here. His name is Calvin Phillips. Yes, and again, we uh, this is from facts we have gathered. It has been from written statements of people that actually walked in on them having sex. And so, you know, we're not here to hurt the family, but we are here to put these facts together because I will believe, you know, perhaps the family is really convinced in their heart that Kit Martin did this. He didn't. But if I were in their shoes, I would want to make sure that the right person was behind bars. Right. And it, it was not Kit Martin. So we are not here to hurt anybody or to ruin anybody's reputation. But these are facts that we have based on written statements from witnesses. And we had witnesses that said they were having an affair. However, I can tell you, I can see how that could be twisted. It could be turned and it could look like, oh, Kit Martin was jealous. He was mad they were having an affair. He absolutely was not. He made a comment at one point, if he'll take her, I'll send the limousine. So, I mean, he was so done with her lies, her manipulation, the way she had isolated him from his family. He was just done. He just wanted out and peace in his life again. And she was going to see to it he wasn't going to have that. But they were having an affair, and we do have signed statements of that. They witnessed it. So, you know, Kit was grateful about that because he didn't care. He's the one that said, I want a divorce. Right. Yeah, Kit was not at all upset about that. That leads to motive. You know, you would think that if your wife's sleeping with the next door neighbor, that that would be a motive for Kit. But no, it was it's exactly the opposite. He was grateful. And by the way, that affair didn't last long. She got what she needed out of Cal. And that was, you know, uh, to say that he was going to testify at the court martial. Crystal, I'm going to back you up on that a little bit. We are correcting each other a little bit. Um, I believe... This is my opinion only. I believe the affair went on longer than we thought. Because when my children would visit, a couple of them would come home and they would tell me, we don't know whether to tell dad or not. But when he goes to sleep at night, Joan's going across the road. Whoa. So um, I don't know, you know, where Pam was and all that. I know that Joan tried to pretend to be her friend. She said Pam was like the mother to her. I feel so sorry, so sorry for Miss Pam for what happened because I think she was just off guard and caught up in all of it. And she really, Joan played her, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. And that's my oh, my opinion. goodness. That, yeah. That is my opinion. And so I, I just, that my heart bleeds for the family. Yeah. Um, so Pam being a really good friend to Joan, it does, it breaks my heart. So anyway, Joan moves her things, right? And they get out of the big yellow house and Cal helps her. And that's where some of the alleged evidence, whatever, the computers, things like that, discs from the military that they said they found. So Joan goes to the military and files a long list of charges against Christian Kip Martin, right? Right. And let me back that up just a minute. What's interesting is Cal's story about where they found this evidence that Chris was actually prosecuted. I'm sorry, Kit to all of you. Yeah. Um, I've always known him as Chris, but right. where they found this laptop and these discs, Cal's story and Joan's story, their statements were completely different. That's something we didn't hear on Dateline. Right. And, and I, they probably didn't know that. Cal said that he helped Joan moving and he found these things in the house. Joan talks about that she went to the storage building to get her grandmother's quilts and she finds this laptop and these discs in the storage. So their stories didn't match. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, it just the plot thickens on a daily basis with this story. It really does. People that have been so 
involved and so deep and heavy into trying to figure it out, you know, you always get an exit ramp like that. Um, what are some of the charges she had against Kit there in the in the in the military court martial? I cannot remember exactly if there was 13 or 14 different charges, but she went to the military. At first, she accused him of being a spy for the Ukraine. And interestingly, she said, she's, and I'm not that first on my geography, but she said he had gone to the Ukraine in July of 1998. No, he had not. We were still together and our third child was born in July of 1998. So he absolutely yeah. was still, we were still married. He was with me and he was very much at the hospital with me when uh, we had our son. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was one of the stories. But she said he was a spy with Ukraine. Um, she filed charges of, she said he had molested her children, sodomy, abuse. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. And you know, the thing, what was her motive? Because there is, I don't know the name of the law or the regulation in the military, but when you say abuse of a spouse or a domestic partner, if it's found to be true, you can get a six-figure income. So, you know, that was a big thing for her to get. She didn't get it, but she was trying. She was trying. Oh, boy, was she trying. I think we've already gone over that in a previous podcast as to how it happened that most of those charges were dropped on Kit, and he ended up only serving 90 days in Leavenworth. I think the charges were simple assault, and the other one was mishandling of classified information, right? So really, they won the court-martial because, you know, he was he was uh, going to be up for like 78 years, I believe, some 57 or 58. Okay, 58 years. Think about that, man. So he got 90 days in Leavenworth. It still didn't look good because he got kicked out of the military. Yeah, and you know, the thing was, when they were in the court-martial, just again to speak to the character of Joan, and is she as a character, a attorney during the court-martial had walked by where... The children were in a room. They put them in a room before they, you know, before and after they testify. And this lawyer who was not involved in the court martial actually heard one of the children state, hey, I think we got it right. We told them exactly what our mom told us to say. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was crucial in him being, you know, found innocent of those other charges. So, you know, the thing is, I remember that major... James Garrett in the murder trial, he stated that, you know, Chris stood to lose his military career. He had already, his career, spotless career, just the highest rankings and ratings, it was destroyed because when somebody makes an accusation like that, you can never regain your reputation, whether you're found innocent or guilty. That's so that right. career yeah. was already destroyed, and he knew that. So that was not a motive at all. It is a perfect 30-year career, too. The man was an absolute military hero in the Army, um, Apache helicopter pilot. Um, you know, a lot of his rewards uh, were earned from the air, airborne. And um, it's really something. And we're talking about three bronze stars. That's the fourth highest military honor you can receive. Three of them. Yes, his integrity is beyond, I mean, just beyond imagination. He, such a good guy. I mean, you know, you think about it. And I don't like to play this card, but I'm going to play it. I'm his ex-wife. We've been divorced over 20 years. We have no intentions of ever being back together or anything like this. I just know the man is innocent. And if an ex-wife will stand up and say this, I think that speaks mounds because if anybody's going to say anything bad about you, don't you think it would be your ex? Absolutely, Stacy. I mean that—that's just my little two cents for it. Absolutely, and it's powerful. I got to tell you, man. I mean, I and I would do it for my ex-husband. I have that relationship with him now. I don't have children with him, but you better believe that I would be—I would be his loudest voice. There's absolutely no question about that. Because just because I have a big mouth, you know. <laughs> Um, so let's continue. Yeah. He, his military career was completely ruined. So let's talk about the legal process there in the court martial and what happened in session 
there, shall we? I don't know how much Dateline covered this. Well, I don't think there was very much on Dateline about the court martial, except that they talked about that he was convicted of uh, a misdemeanor. It was never seen except from a picture that Joan had taken at some point, either taken. And, you know, I don't know if those marks on her son were, if they were makeup. She had done that herself. I don't know if he had fallen or had a bike accident or what, but I cannot imagine Kit Martin doing that to that, that son that he treated as, as his very own. And Crystal, you know how much I love my children. Yeah. If I thought he was going to do that to my children. Do you think I would ever have had my children around him? Absolutely not. Kit was an unbelievable father and, and to other people's children as well. Let's not forget that, man. He just loved children. Well, you know, he had already given so much by making his decision to serve his country, which he felt obligated to do. He's very been always been patriotic. He's always been about serving and he's from a military family. And so he even gave up and he says this now, I gave up. Even to the point of my family, he said, of my children, my biological children, because I made this choice and felt like I needed to serve. And I knew my children were in good hands with you. And he said, but, you know, in some some ways, my choices of giving my life to the military tore us apart because I just didn't want that kind of life. And I hate for him to feel that way. Things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. But I can understand where he is now, him feeling that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that he said, if I had things to do over again, I might do them differently. And it's just really sad, you know, because he was his family. His father served. He served in Vietnam. His sister served. You know, I served for six years. I mean, our family, we were military families. And. You know, it's just a very, very sad thing. It really is. So I might mention, getting back on track a little bit, as he's preparing for the court-martial, his private investigator is doing a lot of work. She's investigating Joni. Now, mind you, Joan had a son, Elijah, with the man, Michael Adkins, I believe was his name. Right. And she had told everyone, all of us, that including... Elijah, that his dad had been killed in a logging accident and had been decapitated. Well, first of all, why would you even go to the extreme of telling your child their dad had been decapitated? I I don't, that's not my style of parenting anyway. Oh my God, that's horrendous. So we're in the middle of the trial and this is a summary. It's not exact. It's my take on what happened. And because I thought I would just fall under my chair for that poor boy. They have him on the stand, and they're asking him questions. You know, who's your mom? Who's your dad? And he says, well, my dad got killed in a logging accident. Well, how did you know that? Well, because my mom told me. Well, your mom would never lie to you, would she, Elijah? No, she would never lie to me. Elijah, meet your father. (gasps) And he, he didn't walk in, but he was on he was on a recording because he didn't want to come into the courtroom. He didn't want to face her. I mean, this has been pattern with her. And that poor, I guess he was a teenager at the time. I truly, my heart felt for him. Because his whole life he had been told that his dad had been decapitated. Decapitated in a logging accident. Well, his he was found and his head was very much attached. That's and, unbelievable, man. What a story to contain. To concoct to your son. Right. And I, you know, I don't remember if Dateline addressed that. I think they did. Maybe. I don't know if they addressed the part of the decapitation. But to me, that is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's horrendous is what that is. And it's child abuse in every way, shape, and form. It's emotional abuse as far as I'm Mm -hmm. concerned. Exactly. Okay. So you ask about in session. Well, Before the court-martial, and I don't know the legal names for, you know, lots of hearings are held. There's mutual restraining orders. There's, you know, lots of things that built up to the court-martial while everyone is preparing their case. Kit Martin took a a three-and-a-half-hour polygraph, and he passed it. 
flying colors. Right? And that was I for mean, the court martial, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that was for the court martial. Three and a half hours. Well, don't you think if he had abused a child that that question probably came up, right? Most uh, definitely. So one during one of the hearings, and again, this part is not hearsay because I have the affidavit here at my house. And so Laura's, Laura, his, his ex-fiancee, she was put in a prosecution witness room by mistake, you know, because she was actually with Kit. She was for the defense. And she hears Major James Garrett and Major Bashore. They were the prosecuting attorneys for the court-martial. She hears them make a statement that they know that, and I'm paraphrasing, that they know that Joan is not a reliable witness, that she's unreliable, and they cannot put her on the stand. You know, but as soon as they get close, they want to keep her charges there to make the court-martial keep going forward. But as soon as it gets close to court-martial time, they will drop those charges against Jones so they don't have to put her on the stand. So this is a conversation going between these two attorneys. Laura overhears it. She signs an affidavit. She gets on the stand and she testifies under oath to that. These two attorneys, military majors, get on that a stand and and I call it the stand. Um, I guess that's what we call it. Right. They get an under oath they state they never, ever said that. Okay. Well, guess what happened is as soon as it got time for the court martial, they did exactly what Laura heard them say they were going to do. Wow. Exactly. Now, how is that coincidence? I think not. Not at all. My goodness, man. This plot just thickened again. It does. And, you know, again, that's something that I'm sure Dateline would have put in had they known that. But that happened. That's true. I mean, this the whole thing, I think, that's important for the listeners, for the public to know, for people that are fighting wrongful convictions. I think it's important to know. And in particular, in the Kit Martin story, that there's so much more to this murder, the murder trials. There was so much background that happened that you can't walk this military hero into a courtroom and say, oh, he served 90 days in Fort Leavenworth and he's this horrible, terrible person. No, because guess what? Joan was behind those charges as well. Oh, my goodness. So so one thing that I want to make clear is that the media, when they picked up on this story, they kept saying that Cal was going to testify against Kit Martin. He was going to testify in the court martial, but I do believe that uh, the that the media got it wrong, and that started kind of a narrative that Kit had this blemish on him, right? I mean, don't you think that the whole thing started with like, oh, because uh, that, you know, that makes you think right away. Oh, he killed the guy that was going to testify in his court martial. That's what happened. Like, that's his motive. Right. And he was going to testify against him. Do we think that Cal was going to testify against Kit? I don't know. I think in the beginning when he was um, very fond of Joan, I think maybe because I think just like all of her other victims in her past with men, I think she manipulated him. I think she manipulated those people around her. I think she manipulated people even in that town by telling them he was an abuser and he was this and that. So perhaps he was. When the private investigators went to talk to him and interview him, he learned a lot that he didn't know. He didn't know that Kit Martin had actually found out that Joan Harmon was a bigamist and that the reality was all these years that Kit thought he was married to Joan. She was already married to someone else and he didn't know that. Now he finds this out. He finds out that she has a past pattern of the way that she had treated men. And he makes a statement in that interview, something to the effect. And he said, well, nobody likes to be used. And, you know, and it was said in that interview well, something about, and you might want to play this, Crystal, I don't know. Yeah. There was something in that interview about, um, was he going to testify? And he said, well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I hope they just get this whole thing mess worked out and that I don't have to. 
But I don't think at that time he had even been served with a subpoena. I don't think so, so either. Don't. And that was on November the 2nd, and he was killed around the 18th, you know. Right. So, you know, as far as I know that Kit Martin, his defense team, they actually subpoenaed him. They wanted him to testify because in that same interview, he stated, well, you know, the boy told me he'd been abused, but I didn't actually see it. I don't know. I didn't actually see it. So he started to have doubts. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we talked about Ken, Ken Buckner being a character in this whole drama. Yeah. And he ran into, and we have this signed statement as well. He ran into Cal at one of the stores. I don't know if it was the Dollar General where. And Cal says to him, I guess you know Joan used to me. And Ken says, well, you know, Kit Martin's a good guy. And Cal's response was, I know, I know. My goodness, Stacey. So that doesn't sound to me like somebody that's going to testify against him. No. And again, we do have signed statements about that. So that is not just coming from our opinion. These are things we have in writing from interviews with a private investigator. So we got the murders on November 18th of 2015. Kids arrested almost four years later, right? Three and a half years later. So it was in 2019 in May that he was arrested. Stayed in jail. You know, it took um, a year, I believe, for the bond hearing. He was in jail for a year before even the bond hearing took place. And that was before the judge says the bond's going to be $3 million. We're not talking about... 10% of $3 million. We're talking about $3 million cash. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I can't. I do know that the defense attorneys argued that that was unconstitutional. You know, I don't know anybody's got, I don't personally know anybody has $3 million laying around. So when you can find somebody like that and they have no chance of bond, they, they aren't able to work on their own trial. You no. know, they've got to be dependent on everyone else. And he has been since that day, since in May when he was arrested. He has not been able to work on this. And believe me, Kit kept really good records of everything in the court martial. He's, you know, he was definitely organized with all of it. Let's talk about after the murders then. So they took place on November 18th, three murders right there in Pembroke, Kentucky. Didn't I hear you say on a previous episode that we had 108 pieces of DNA samples? Yes, and, you know, these are some things that I don't think when our listeners watch the Dateline episode, if this, if these facts were in that episode, I didn't see them. But these were things that I don't think that probably the viewers, they knew. But you're right, 108, 108 DNA samples and nothing come back to Kit Martin. And, and we weren't allowed to know if it came back to anyone else, you know, or who else it came back to. Who are those 108 samples? Who do they belong to? We never got we that in the trial. They, we don't know if they tested them against anyone else. We just right. don't know. Marlene LaRock, one of the important people in the trial, because she was talking to Pam Phillips when Pam Phillips uh, screamed like uh, almost she said it was sort of like when she saw a mouse or something, <gasps> just kind of uh, taken aback and then went silent and she never heard from her again. And then they find her dead the next day. Um, so Marlene testifies that she sees Cal's wallet and keys on the table, right? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then the testimony of the police officer, Mark Reed, and the Phillips shows that the wallet is beside the dog tags up on a shelf. That's very suspicious. Yeah. Very suspicious. Yeah, who, who moved the wallet? And that, and I mean, these are questions. Who moved that wallet? And was it moved so that these planted dog tags would be found? Uh, you know, because a wallet doesn't get up and walk itself. Somebody moved that wallet because... You know, Miss LaRock said, I peeked in the door and I saw the wallet and the keys laying on the table. My goodness. And then the two pieces of so-called evidence that was turned in by the family, uh, the whole world's questioning that. Even court TV commentators question that, both pieces of evidence that the family found. And what were those again? They were dog tags, which actually, 
you can watch the trial, you can watch the Dateline episode, but if you watch uh, Diana Phillips' testimony, it was dog tags that she recalled as saying Christian Martin, but the dog tags that were found did not say Christian Martin. They said Kit Martin, and you can watch some of our previous episodes to to hear about the Army regulation on that, but bottom line, Military-issued dog tags do not have nicknames on them. Those dog tags said Kit Martin. His name is, his legal name is not Kit Martin. So those those dog tags are, you know, they kept talking about the string. The string's neither here or there to me. It's just the fact that we know those dog tags are not military-issued, and they were not Kit Martins. And what trained military soldier with 30 years experience, an airborne ranger is going to go in and leave your dog tags. You want to just write, hey, I did it. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And he called it stupid on the stand. He said, it's stupid. I mean, you know, and that probably set the, the jury off a little bit. He's, he's kind of dismissing it because it is a dismissing kind of thing. It's a fake dog tag. Chris is so... Oh, how do I say? Um, kind of innocent about the worldly things like that. And so he's just like, I didn't do this, you know, kind of like we believe that it was just a just system. And I didn't do this. So why would I not say how stupid it was? Because it was stupid. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is, like, that's what we do now. We just go and leave our dog tags to let everybody know it was us that did it. I mean, come on. That's insane. I mean, it's that we've had just since the Dateline episode to our podcast email, which incidentally you can reach us at the at freekitmartin at gmail.com if you'd like to comment or talk about anything or if you have any information. But, you know, we're receiving comments, and that's the consistent thing is anyone to, with common sense, he didn't leave dog tags. And, by the way, those aren't his dog tags. So I guess I get on that. Oh, I get on that soapbox. You know that, Crystal, because that's just, that's just, in, it is stupid. It's, it's just stupid. Who would even, that's crazy. It is crazy. So. The other thing, too, was that casing. And I think that's equally as crazy. It really is. It coulda, shoulda, would it said Barbara at the end there on her closing arguments. She could no longer blame this on anyone else. She had the whole complicity thing taken away from her right before the closing arguments. And I'll have you know, she went on, uh, she still went on her closing arguments and um, and doubled down. She just doubled down on all of it. But the casing was a ridiculous piece of evidence and she knows it, we know it, and it was all shoulda, coulda, woulda. There was so much reasonable doubt in her closing arguments. I'm telling you what, that whole casing thing is what put me over the edge. And it did with Julie Grant, who interviewed you on Court TV as well. Yeah, I'm going to challenge all of you to go and watch Barbara Whaley's closing statement. And I want you to watch how she says to the jury, the guns that killed these people were in Kit Martin's house. And then she hangs her head and very lowly says, well, guns like the, the ones that killed him. Yeah. Very misleading. Very misleading. Yes. She says the hairs that were tested were similar to Kit Martin's hair. And this was something that wasn't on Dateline. Okay, you can have similar brown hair, curly hair, blonde hair. But guess what? The FBI mitochondrial, the most extensive testing, concluded. The report came back and the report said exclude Kit Martin. Not his hair. And that was for 108 pieces of DNA, by the way. Nothing yeah, came back hair, to Kit Martin. There was four strands of hair, if I recall right, but there was 108 swabs in his mouth. I mean, they kept even coming after he got out of uh, Fort Leavenworth. They came to North Carolina. They're pulling hairs from his head. They're swabbing his mouth. I mean, he knows they're investigating him, and he doesn't run. No. He wants to face it, clear his name, and get on with his life. So, Which is precisely what he did. He got kicked out of the military, then became a pilot for American Airlines and PSA, the regional 
out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and he was doing a really good job of putting his life back together. You know, Kit's done some cool stuff in the private sector as well. He did the oil rig thing down in Texas, right? He was, he was helicoptering, yes. uh, yeah, crew back and forth to oil rigs, things like that. I mean, he was a, a very stand up man in our society, a man that goes to church, a man that raised his kids well, really good people. All these kids, you know, they, they I'm telling you, Stacy, I am so convinced that he is innocent and it just enrages me that a country that he fought for has taken that freedom away and the way he fought for it and the earning of all of those medals combat action badge air medals you know everything we talked about the bronze stars this guy is a military hero and if that is okay with you that the state of kentucky pulled him over the you know calls like this if you will uh, it's not okay with us we really felt yeah. like this is an injustice in america like i have never seen before well you know crystal in america it is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. What about, first of all, if you've got a trial and you're asking the public, you're asking America, do you think he's innocent? Do you think he's guilty? Who out there could say there's not reasonable doubt? Oh, my God. So much reasonable doubt. So much. Yeah. You know, like in, in we were talking about the casing. What she said is, you know how she, you know, I asked her what would happen if he just took a little toothbrush and put it down through there. Just a little brush and made it like different. Like that is just, that's cray cray. He could have, should have, would have, Babs. Well, you know, Chris, like other military people and a lot of men, he had a lot of guns. I mean, he loved to hunt. He went bird hunting. He and his brother-in-law here in Tennessee, they would, you know, in fact, I think he left a gun there so that he would have it there and they could go bird hunting. Uh, you know, that's just something that, hey, we're in Tennessee. We're rednecks. I guess that's what you do. Um, yeah. But so call us what you will. But people like to hunt. Yeah. And, and he yeah. did. So, but, you know, all those guns that were in his safe that Detective Scott Smith says the only gun in that safe was a Glock. Lie. Baloney. Lie. Baloney, Scott Smith, because as a matter of fact, a few of those have my name on them. So, but guess what? We'll never see those again. I don't know if Cal Phillips' guns were ever given back to the family, but they acquired Cal Phillips' uh, weapons as well. So Did they? I yeah, know that. yeah, that was testified on the stand by Matt Phillips uh, that it, those are, are still in the hands of the Christian County Sheriffs or whoever. You know, he said that on the stand. And incidentally, I don't mean to digress so much, but this just popped up in my head. We had a statement from one witness that said a few days before, I think three days before the murders. And I don't know what this was about, but he had been working on a roof uh, with his son. He was a contractor, and he had seen Cal Phillips in his yard in some kind of gunny military suit, and he had a forty-five, and he's just crawling around in the yard. I don't know what that was about. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But that is another statement that this contractor made. So that's wow. very that's, – that's I don't know what was going on there, but um. okay, let's just kind of sum it all up with one thing that okay. we believe, and I don't know how well this was, um, you know, presented to you on the Dateline episode. But Detective Scott Smith is a very important part of this whole story because the false testimony that he gave to obtain the indictment to begin with, that was false testimony. We have that grand jury indictment because that was, um, they tried to have the whole case thrown out. Obviously, the defense did because of that crazy little indictment. And so because it is, uh, it's been presented to the courts, it's now public record. Normally, that's a very secretive document. We have that document. And let me tell you, there's some fishy stuff going on. We'll make a whole podcast out of just that in the future here. Okay, Stacey? Yes, ma'am. And that's not fishy stuff. He lied. I mean, the phones, Pam Phillips' phone and Kit Martin's phones were not in the same places he testified to the grand jury. He says it's because that he had new technology later. But yeah. anyway, 
I don't know about all that. And didn't yeah, we we'll get into all the cell rights and all that later. But you know what? Um, he lied. And we know he lied. And he got that indictment based on lies and misinformation. And we all know it. And that is not alleged. We know that. Now, yes, the security sir. footage showing Kit going back into his home the night in question, omitted in the trial by the prosecution. How well was that covered on Dateline? I don't think that was covered on Dateline. I didn't see that at all. They may not have that information. I'm not sure. But basically, one of the defense attorneys, Olivia, did a great job back in Mr. Scott Smith in the corner because she asked him, was it your choice not to show all the security video footage? And he said, no, if it had been up to me, I would have shown it all. Well, my next natural question would be, who was it up to? But we didn't hear that. No, because what they want to do, you know, lawyers, what they want to do is end on a really big note. I understand how Olivia would just want to end on that note. But, yeah, you want to know who, what, where, when, why, how. Who told you to do that then? Stacy? if I ask you, out of everything covered in the Kit Martin trial, what is the one piece of evidence that's the most important? The one piece of hard evidence that there is no doubt about is Joan Harmon Guerra Gritton had the victim's cell phone. She took that phone into the AT&T store in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and I don't know if she was trying to get them to open the phone uh, to find out whose it was. I don't know what she was doing, but she had Pam Phillips' phone. And as soon as the AT&T personnel realized it was Pam Phillips' phone, they called the police. And as soon as they made that call to the police, she gets her kids and she scurries with the kids, and that is on videotape, out of the AT&T store. And I ask you, Crystal, if you were really trying to find out about this phone, wouldn't you have just stayed and talked to the police officer? Absolutely. But no, she hightailed it out of there and then was protected all the way through the trial, uh, pled the fifth, um, wouldn't, didn't even have to face the jury, didn't even have to plead the fifth in front of the jury. And man, oh man, we have questions for Joan Harmon Adele Guerra Gritton. Her name is now Adele Gritton. And along with Joan had the phone, that is a hashtag we've started on social media. I want to go ahead and add Adele had the cell, okay? Because because she's changed her name. A lot of people that are around her right now that may be suspecting her uh, don't know who we're talking about with Joan Harmon. Her name is Adele Gritton. And Adele had the cell. That's right. She did have the cell. And, you know, she... Why do you change your name? I'm sure she gave some poor, pitiful story like she's always given people, but that's just. Yeah, she changed. Not only did she change her name, she changed her kid's name. I know EJ had his name changed a couple of times. So you just don't know why somebody does something like that. But we can always guess, right? We can always guess as to why somebody would do something like that. Again, I want to reiterate, Crystal, that this. You know, is our most of this, some of this is our opinion, I should say, not most of it, because, you know, we would, we've got documents, we've got proof, we've got statements by people of what they saw. That is not hearsay. To my understanding, hearsay is when I think that's when you like was allowed on the other side when you've had a conversation and you're testifying to what the other person said. But when you see it yourself, Right. That shouldn't be hearsay. So we have statements of what the contractor said, what people said. And we've got a whole lot more. So I hope that the people will continue to listen to our podcast. We've been lengthy today. Uh, but yeah. I really think that, you know, I think this is a lot of good information and hopefully makes things a lot clearer for our listeners. Always like, share, and subscribe to anything you see online that has to do with Kit Martin. A lot of other people are starting to join this revolution, okay? And this is a movement. And what is going on in the United States right now is so sad. This injustice industry You know, as much as we think that it's just power beyond power beyond power, it is, but it's stoppable as long as we are united, we stand, united, we stand and divided, we fall. So we have to remain together in this fight because strength is in numbers. And if we can get 
Now, I don't think that we as the public can sway the Kentucky Supreme Court, but they are in session this week. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your head and saying a prayer for Kit Martin and that this Supreme Court get it right this time, they're reconsidering whether or not to affirm or reverse that conviction. If it's reversed, maybe we get a new trial. We try to figure that out later. It, it would be so fantastic to see Kit Martin get a new trial. He deserves it, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Can I get and, an amen? <laughs> amen. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just add something because this is just on my heart to say. And it's not something because that I'm supposed to say. It's because I really feel it. You know, I'm sorry to the family. You know, Ed Danzero's family, I'm so sorry. You know, for those that lost their loved ones, I really and truly am. And I can't imagine being in those shoes. But I want to say we would love to join forces with them and help them find the right killer right. or killers right. and put them to justice. Because or at least put it into the, to the hands. Uh, you know, what we could do is just put it into the hands of those who could. Because obviously what we want is just Kit Martin free, out of jail. And then, yes, justice, real justice for those people. Absolutely. Because regardless of differences or however, I mean, to me, you know, Cal Phillips was no different than Kit Martin. He was deceived by this woman who was so good at deceiving men. You know, and he had figured it out and I'll be darned, you know, if he didn't end up dead. Isn't that something? Uh, he had yeah, figured he it out. Up dead and he ended up dead and Kit ended up in prison. You know, what a woman. So it goes to speak. Be careful meeting people online because that's yeah. where Kit met Tom. And, um, you know, as gorgeous as people want to paint her, they called her drop dead gorgeous on that uh you know, on that Dayline episode, but man, I ain't seeing that. I don't see the big blonde bombshell anymore. I see a manipulative person that uses and abuses people. And man, I, w I wouldn't last three seconds in front of somebody like her without like a, she would punch me right in the face. <laughs> she would, she punched me right in the face because I would just tell her immediately, girl, I see right through you. You are lying to me. You're a pathological liar. You need to get away from me right now. Well, uh, and that's a whole nother podcast because believe, <laughs> believe me, she and I had those conversations. So, uh, because I did, hey, I did see through her. One of the pieces of, you know, we do have um, a way for you to contact us and you can always hit us up at freekitmartin at gmail.com. But one of the tips that we got is that 32 law enforcement officers were there that night and they all missed that little shiny casing that was right there. And they missed those dog tags right there next to the wallet. They missed them. Hmm. The hell you say. I mean, the heck, <laughs> the heck you say. <laughs> all right. So. That's so once again, thank you for listening to the Free Kit Martin podcast. We appreciate you so very much. Welcome to all of our newbies, and we will see you next time on the Free Kit Martin podcast. Stacy, thank you, darling. Thank you, and thanks for listening.